You're listening to Oh No Lit Class. Mostly dead authors, fresh takes. Ruining required reading, one book at a time. Welcome to Ono Lit Class, the podcast that wrote a novel-length King Lear slash fic as a college admissions essay. I'm Megan. I'm RJ. That's from at Birkenstocks.babe on Instagram, and I don't even know who we would pair King Lear up with, because I read that play like once ten years ago, but it seemed fitting as an opening for this episode because... Have you ever worn Birkenstocks? They're pretty comfortable. No, I have not. That's That really wasn't the lead and I was looking for here. <laughs> because we're talking about... Pokemon? What? Lear. That's like the first movie you learned. Jesus fucking Christ. We're doing... Ash, sh- you, Ash uses Lear as the other trainer. Yeah. Yeah, defense uh, falls. Accuracy falls. Well, okay, let's, let's just say that uh, while we may be recording this on a Wednesday, it feels like a big willy weekend to me. I don't get it. We're talking. It's just bard time, baby. Oh, you meant Lear, L E A R. Who the fuck other King Lear were you? We're not doing King Lear though. We're doing the guy who leers at everyone. We're do- God, shut up. We're doing Othello. He kind of closes his eyes a bit. It's just too early in the episode for me to want to kill you. We're back in the world of Big Willie Shakespeare, and we're not doing King Lear. We're taking on Othello. A play about a guy who really should surround himself with a more supportive peer group. And also maybe trust his wife. Like, maybe just talk to his freaking wife. But of course, all people ever do in Shakespeare plays is is talk to each other, but no one is ever talking to the person they should be talking to about actual important shit. But whatever, we'll get there. Anyway, Othello is definitely one of the major bummer plays, and is famous for having a main character of color that, as we'll talk about, has been played by white dudes in blackface up to a much more recent time than you would hope for, but probably not be surprised by. And also for having one of the more famous and bastardly villains, Iago. Ah, that parrot. Love that parrot. He loves crackers. (laughs) No, he doesn't. He hates crackers. Yeah, we'll see in this upcoming Aladdin movie. Wow. Hashtag Aladdin. I mean, like, how, what kind of fake Aladdin fan are you? Iago gets mad because the Sultan keeps feeding him crackers and he hates it. The Sultan? It. Yeah. They, he hates every the time. The Sultan? Every, yeah, every time him and Jafar have to visit. The Sultan? You get to say it three more times? Every time him and Jafar. How would you say that word? The Sultan. 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 What the fuck is your problem? He's not a saltine. Well, he keeps cramming them in Iago's mouth whenever they have to go meet with him, and he hates it, so. It's weird that the parrot is named Iago when he's, like, a sidekick and not a main villain. I, uh, I think he is the main villain. He whispers into Jafar's ear while Jafar sleeps, and so the, it's like Inception. I don't think Gilbert Godfrey's capable of whispering. Hey! Look here! <laughs> oh no, do go on! <laughs> don't let me stop you! What you gotta do! You send the boy in to get the lamp. It got the genie in it. You, you, you send the boy to get the lamp. Okay, neither of us can do it. Oof. Anyway. Did you have to read Othello in school at any point that you remember? I teach it. Do they like it? Yeah. 
more than some of the other things in that class. Trust me, when you start with Beowulf... Yeah, Othello's gotta seem like a welcome reprieve. And then you mix in some Milton. By the time you get to Othello... You are are torturing them, Jesus. But we gotta cover the entirety of the English literature canon. Wow, okay. From Beowulf to eh, World War One. Close enough. I uh, I read this one during my Shakespeare semester in undergrad where my professor was uncomfortably hung up on the inherent sexuality of throttling your partner to death, which, you know, was pretty on brand for him. Othello tackles all kinds of fun themes, including racism, jealousy, betrayal, revenge, homoerotic subtext, all the things that you would expect. But before we can get to the downfall of the Moor of Venice... RJ, I assume you have some sweet, juicy historical background on this entry into Big Willie's oeuvre. Um, also, if this is your first Ono the Class Shakespeare episode and you want to hear more about the man himself, check out episode 17, The Big Willie Conspiracy, where we get all up in his personal biz. But for now, back to the land a Big Willie Shakespeare at the demand of our listeners. Actually, that's true. This was a Patreon-voted episode. We could have explored new and exciting lands, like that of Frank Chin's Donald Duck, or the windmills of Cervantes' Don Quixote, or even the enjoyable romp of finance and the art of deal-making with Donald Trump. But instead of any of those Donalds, our loyal and lovely listeners voted and chose to go back to the land of Big Willie. This highlights one of the shortcomings of democracy, but that's a discussion for another time. I mean, to be fair, I give them a, 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 a they get choice, they have options that they choose from. We have a list. Vote other. They have my orders. Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess we'll, we could we'll do Cervantes at some point, probably. So before Othello was a board game at the bottom of everyone's board game collection, more on that in a bit, it was a play written by, allegedly, one William Shakespeare. By way of reminder, Big Willie, Big Willie'd around from April 26th, 1564 to April 23rd. 1616. It is believed that Othello was written in 1603, which would make William 39 when he wrote it. A man who probably knew a thing or two about love, women, and jealousy. Like a number of Big Willie's works, Othello is based on a story from another author. Of course. The story is Un Capitano Moro, a Moorish captain, which was written by Giovanni Battista Giraldi, who went by Cynthio Cynthio? Cynthio. Why? His real name is so fucking cool. Say his real name again. Giovanni Battista Giraldi. That's a dope name. Why the hell would you use a pseudonym? Cynthio. Sure. Lame. Wow. So the story was written in 1565 when Big Willie was a mere one year old, which means his balls hadn't even dropped yet. And he was actually still wee. <laughs> what do you mean his balls hadn't <laughs> dropped yet? He's a fucking infant. Yeah, wow. So, in short... <laughs> That means he was still wee little Willie. But I can only speculate to that fact. <laughs> While the general themes between the works are similar, there are also significant differences in the characters as well as the endings. To give an example, in The Moorish Captain, the Moorish Captain is actually never given a name because the story really focuses more on his wife and the equivalent of Iago, who is simply known as Ensign. Basically, Big Willie's treatment is much more relatable if for no other reason his characters have names, which is good. It's important in a play. But are really more well-rounded and the story focuses more on the human drama than the original treatment of the tale. And in Big Willie's style, Othello is full of characters. 
he do like him a good number of characters, many of which were not in the original tale. I suppose it is also worth mentioning that A Moorish Captain itself was based on a real-life recounting of a real-life story. Now, after looking into the matter, A Moorish Captain is, quote-unquote, based on real-life events. Kind of like the summer blockbuster Independence Day starring Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum is based on real-life events insofar that foreign aliens, also known as Englishmen, invaded America back in the 15 and 1600s and fucked shit up and Americans resisted. So that's a weird parallel to uh, draw there. No, no. Independence, Independence Day, Day is clearly about... Independence uh, Day never claims to be based on true events. Oh, but clearly it is. It's based on what we did to those poor natives. Where the fuck are you getting this from? That all these stories about alien invasion, really what it harkens back to is when we invaded America. And we're worried it's going to happen to us. Oh, well, every alien invasion movie is definitely us being scared that we will be invaded. That's yes. As we did to others. Yeah, so Independence Day is an alien invasion movie. Yeah, but you don't call that based on true events. Well, the you, you, you call that conqueror's anxiety. Or colonial, colonial, or col, fuck, colonizer. You call it colonizer's anxiety. <laughs> yes, well, that is about how true a Moorish captain is to the real life events that it says it portrays. I suppose so. It's a really roundabout way of doing it. Everyone else understood. In short, a Moorish captain took some creative license with the story. So you can imagine just how far Shakespeare play drifted from the original real-life accounts. The first mention of Shakespeare's Othello is in 1604 in the form of an account written by a member of the Revels Office. The easiest way to think of the Revels Office is kind of like the modern-day MPAA, the people who write movies, or the FCC, the people who make sure TV shows and radio broadcasts don't do naughty things for the kids to hear. The Rebels' office were the censors of the stage. They decided what was allowed and not allowed. So they were the fun police. Basically. And it was the governmental body that could dish out punishment to actors and playwrights for doing things they deemed censor-worthy. The report of Othello reads, in part, Being the 1st of November, the king's, well, they say majesties, they make an I a J, I guess, later well, yeah, on. Well, yeah, because, yeah, I's and J's were one of the things that you would swap out, like F's and S's. So the King's Majesty's players performed a play in the Bankington House at Whitehall called The Moor of Venus. Yeah. V-E-N-I-S. Now, I think the play would have been much better if it had leaned into this Venus outer space sci-fi angle or the penis angle. Also, the play was attributed to Shakespeare. It is Shakespeare. Shakespeare. It does lean pretty hard into the penis angle, to be fair. But yeah, Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Another good, solid nickname for Big Willie. <laughs> the play was first published in quarto form in 1622 with the following information. There's a lot of information here. Okay. Tragedy of Othello, the Moor of Venice, that has been acted at the Globe and at the Blackfriars by His Majesty's... Surratt's, written by William Shakespeare, London, printed by No, for Thomas Walkley, and are to be sold at a shop at the Eagle and Child in Britain's Burse, 1622. The next year, the first folio of Shakespeare's work were published and Othello was included. The first folio version was actually about 160 lines longer and had a number of changed wordings as compared to the quarto version. Scholars speculate that this had to do with the 1606 Act to restrain abuses, which made it illegal for plays to take the following in vain, the holy name of God, or of the Holy Ghost, or of the Trinity, or of Christ Isus. <laughs> oh, Christ Isus. 
Don't you, don't you remember... Spelling in, is weird. Well, don't you remember in um, the third Indiana Jones movie where he has to step on the blocks with the letters and it's Jehovah and he goes to step on the J and he almost falls to his death and they're like, in the Latin alphabet, Jehovah begins with an I. Like, they did the swappy swap. Or maybe we've just been wrong this whole time. <laughs> it's been Isis. Others speculate that maybe these lines were just cut out of the quarto version to meet a certain page format. So who the hell knows? I report, you decide. Good news is, you can't be wrong with this wild speculation. So which do scholars prefer or which is performed, the quarto or the folio? They use the full version now. Okay. Now, what this brings us to, before we jump into the plot of the story, is 1883. 1883? 1883. You see, in 1883, the board game Reversi was created. Um, okay. Are you familiar? Well, not with the board game, but this does clear up something that I was confused about before. You could explain Reversi first. (laughs) So this is the game that is on a square green board in which white and black discs are placed down in an attempt to sandwich the opposite color between your own. If you've never played it, I'd say go online and give it a go. You can find it for free. It might even be on your computer for free. And it was one of little RJ's favorite board games. Reversi is the game that became known as Othello in 1971. Othello was named and marketed by Goro Hasegawa, a Japanese salesman. Hasegawa pointed out that he named the game Othello because of Shakespeare's play. After all, the white and black pieces depict the battle of Othello and Iago. The green of the board represents the color of jealousy, and that jealousy is sometimes referred to as, quote, the green-eyed monster. They call it that in the play. I always thought of the green-eyed monster was a gangrenous dick. But, you know, you live and learn. Okay, the the dick's called a one-eyed monster. Oh, yeah, but if it's a green-eyed monster, it means you got something wrong with it. You got a big gangrene. Yeah. You got a a touch of Pazuzu. (laughs) Snuck that in there. (laughs) The green also represents the quote-unquote battlefield in which Othello and Iago fight. Oh, and green is also the color of military uniforms, and these were military guys. So obviously, duh, green. Duh. Othello, the board game, based on the play, based on the story, based on real life. Yeah, so this explains why there's a manga called Othello that has absolutely nothing to do with the play, and is more about characters, like, switching personalities or something like that or like they're doing a game thing and the cover of the manga has like a character in like black with black hair and a black outfit and then like this like diagonal line cutting through and they've got white hair and a white outfit and it was like this has nothing to do with the play Othello and I was like oh okay so that uh explains that now back to the black and white disc that supposedly represent Othello and Iago. Just like I argued in our Moby Dick episode that Ahab could have been of mixed ethnicity, I think it can be argued that Othello was not actually black or was meant to necessarily be read as black. Well, because they're not they're never super clear on his actual ethnicity. It's just sort of not white. Like they, he could be Middle Eastern, he could be, you know, African, but where in Africa? Like he could be from like Egypt, Morocco, Ethiopia, like where the hell ever. We just know that he is not a white dude. Yeah, so first of all, it would have been mad woke for Big Willie to make a black character a tragic figure in the way he does with Othello um, being black in the 16th century. This is not to say Big Willie wouldn't do this, 
but it would be a big deal. If anyone had to describe the ethnicity or race of Othello in one word, people would probably say more. After all, that is generally the descriptor used for him. Well, at the time, more referred to dark-skinned people in general and was interchangeably used with words like African, Somali, Ethiopian, Negro, Arab, Berber, and sometimes even Indian to describe someone from Africa or even from further east. Okay, so that thing I just said. There are moments in the play where the word black comes up, but in context and given language uses at the time, that could also just mean swarthy, according to academics. Look, there is no doubt that the characters in the play, at best, make fun of, or at worst, outright detest Othello for his lineage. Oh, they super do. They're, <laughs> they're all racist as fuck. But just because they call him things like thick lips or sooty bottom, some academics argue that you cannot take these derogatory names literally. Lastly, an inspiration for Shakespeare writing Othello, according to some, is Abed, Abd el Uhad Ab ben Masad who was the Moroccan ambassador to Queen Elizabeth during Shakespeare times, and based on paintings of him, presented as what people would generally consider as white. The theory is so strong that the painting I'm referencing is held by the Shakespeare Institute at Stratford-upon-Avon. That's pretty strong. I'll show you the picture so you can see. Okay. It was a white dude <laughs> who's just Muslim. Oh, yeah, it was on Wikipedia. Yeah. I mean, he's a swarthy dude. I don't know if you could code him as white you would code him as white before you code him as black you, you wouldn't code him as black but he, he does appear to be i would say i would call him a person of color if i was looking at that so in short if someone wanted to do a 2019 version of othello that is true to big willie's vision they could hire riz ahmed or amir khan for the role of othello then again multiple oscar winner mahershala ali might just as easily fit the aesthetic bill as well oh man i'd be so down with that we just don't know what big willie actually intended it is a big variation. It's true. And, and yet, we just kept casting white dudes and putting them in blackface instead. All in all, what this means is that Othello can be read just as much as a hot take on religious minorities as racial minorities, and that the real issue at the heart of the play may not nearly be skin deep. But enough about these things. Let's get to the plot of the play. Megan. RJ. Hey everybody, it's Megan. Per per huge. Okay, hang on a sec. Yeah, what else? Uh huh. Okay. Anyway, just pop it in here real quick. Uh, it will be real quick this time for once. Um, now that Pravi's had his say, the boss has the last word. You know how it is. Just to say that this episode was brought to you in part by our lovely, beautiful, wonderful patrons, and they voted on this one, which you can do too if you give us $3 a month, which would be real cool. And you also get stickers and bonus content. I mean, it's a pretty sweet deal, I think. Just putting that out there. We don't have any new patrons this episode, so now that we've had our Patreon for literally more than a year, I just want to do a quick shout-out to the patrons who have been with us Pretty much since the beginning, either the the first month or the month after, so they, a year or longer. And that is Chris at Play Comics, Alexander, Janet, Tanner, Ariel at Ariel Teague, Ben at KNSJM, Jen, Lucas, Karen, Not Alone Podcast at Not Alone Pod, and Dirk Dammit at Killing You Guy. Holy shit, that's, thank, you know, the, fuck, you guys are the OG, and that's pretty fucking cool, and we appreciate that. 
So that's that's actually all there is for this one. So let's get back to the Shakespeare. Those are the transitional Shakespeare noises. And now Othello, as she is written. So Act 1 opens with two dudes, Rodrigo and Iago, screaming at each other in the streets of Venice, just like airing their dirty laundry. As the audience, we're thrown right in the middle of it, and so we don't really know what the hell is going on and have to piece it together as we go. But the gist of it is that Rodrigo is annoyed that he's a train. He is a train. (laughs) He's a train wreck is what he is. Rodrigo's annoyed that he's been lending Iago a whole bunch of money because Iago's supposed to be helping him getting good with Desdemona, a woman he's in love with. How Iago is meant to be using Rodrigo's money to do this, and also why Iago is the guy for the job, are questions you shouldn't look for answers to. Because there are none. This is Shakespeare. Stuff just happens, and people either die horribly or get married. Or both. As happens. But anyway, Rodrigo's pissed off because he heard that Desdemona has run away with some guy who is only referred to in this section as the more. And he accuses Iago of helping that guy instead, like, oh, I thought you hated him. And Iago assures Rodrigo that, like, yeah, for sure, he totally, definitely hates him because this mysterious Moorish military man didn't pick Iago to be his super special lieutenant person. Squawk, squawk. Squawk, squawk. I wanted to be- no, God, that's not good. (laughs) I wanted to be. I wanted to be- no, man, Jesus, we can't do this. Uh, Iago really- wanted that position because he hates Othello so but I don't know it's I don't know the logic instead a guy named Michael Cassio uh, a huge nerd who apparently has absolutely no battle experience whatsoever was promoted ahead of him also he's the only one in the play with a first and a last name for whatever reason my cast yo yeah. he went on to invent those watches Ca- yeah yeah that doubled his calculator not the Casio keyboard Oh, maybe that too. (laughs) I don't know why he's the only one who has a first and last name, but I'm sure Iago is also jealous of that too. Iago bitches about people getting promoted above him, even though he's been in the military longer because of dumb reasons like they're smart and likable and not a conniving asshole. It's the system, man. Keeping the man down. And he tells Rodrigo that he's going to pretend to suck up to this guy that we know as Othello, but then actually fuck him over. And so the two of them decide to start Operation Make Trouble for Othello by getting super hammered and standing outside the house of Desdemona's father, Brabantio Barbacoa. Not Barbatino? Braban, Bra, not Bar. Brabantio. Okay, fine. Brabantio. And yelling, I guess they're in Venice, that makes sense. And yelling things at him like, Hey, did you know your daughter's run off with a dude who's not white? Specifically, Iago says, An old black ram is tupping your white ew. Which is gross. Brabantio sticks his head out like, Get off my fucking lawn, you fat, drunk dipshit, because he can only see Rodrigo. Iago's hiding. And he tells him, like, My daughter doesn't want to marry you. Like, fuck off. And Rodrigo's like, Yeah, but she still ran off with a black guy. See for yourself. And Brabantio does and sees that his daughter Desdemona is, in fact, not in her bed. How long has she been gone? Like, if it's a short enough time that dad doesn't even realize she's left, why do Rodrigo and Iago already know about it? Maybe dad doesn't look at his daughter in bed on a regular basis. Well, but then if she's like ran away a couple days ago and he just doesn't notice? Yeah, she just like sneaks off at night. I guess. Like, night dad. Oh, it's only 6 p.m., but I guess that's what she does. Shrug. (laughs) Shrug. So, uh, Bramblejam is super pissed. 
and is like, oh no, my daughter has been bespelled by Big Black Dick. And I'm really barely paraphrasing here. And that he's going to find her and bring her back. Just listen for the moans. Ew, Iago, still unseen by Brabantio, runs off to Othello's house to be like, ah, oh, shit. I keep wanting to call him Brabantio. Brabantio. Brabantio, he's coming to wreck your shit because you married his daughter without him noticing somehow. I know I said don't worry about it, but it's still really bothering me. And yeah, Iago, uh, of course, leaves out the fact that he went to the guy's house and told him so. It is instead like, hey, Othello, I don't murder is bad and wrong, but man, I'm, I'm really good at it, which is why I'm so good at military things. Just saying maybe you should have promoted me. And also why it was so hard for me not to kill Brebentio when he was screaming all kinds of mean and racist things about you that I would definitely never, ever say I love you. And Othello's just like, um... Okay, like, cool, like, please don't murder my father-in-law. And Iago's like, yeah, fine, whatever. BTW, you fuck your wife yet? Which is not a joke. He asks if Othello's marriage is, quote, secure. Because apparently once you consummated your marriage, you couldn't get it annulled. So that, that seems to be the implication anyway, and, and why Iago is asking him about it. Because Desdemona's dad will definitely demand a divorce. Appreciate my alliteration. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, once you stick it in, you can't go back. Once you pop, you, you can't just, stop. You just can't stop. Iago presses him further by reminding Othello, a.k.a. informing the audience, that Brabble Blab is a senator and very powerful and important and could fuck up Othello's life. But Othello's chill about it. He's a kick-ass military hero, which has given him a significant amount of cultural cachet, and so he's not worried about some dink bitching about him, especially when he and Des are in love. So what kind of senator do you think the guy is? More like the junior senator from Texas? <laughs> or I mean, like a different kind of senator? I don't know. I don't know how senators work in medieval Venice. Mm. I, I couldn't tell you. He's a senator of pizza pie. <laughs> That's great. When the pizza hits your eye. No, the moon is hitting your eye. If someone's throwing pizza in your fucking face, that's probably not a more. That's delicious. <laughs> Just then, a group of men show up at his door... And Yago's like, it's Brabantio, run! And Othello's like, I ain't no bitch. He opens the door like a person, and it's actually Michael Cassio. That guy, he picked to be a lieutenant instead of Iago. And some army dudes here to tell Othello that he needs to get his ass to the Duke of Venice's, like, war room because they need to strategize about going to war with the Turks. Then, Brabantio, along with Rodrigo and a bunch of other random guys, I assume they just rounded up on the way, show up. And Othello's just like, uh, what you doing? And uh, Braventio's like, Give me back my daughter that you bewitched with your ween. Ah! And Cassio and the soldiers are just like, what, what the fuck? Like, take that back. And they're all ready to fight each other when Othello steps between them and calmly tells everyone to chill the fuck out. I got enough voodoo magic for all you. <laughs> I can bespell all you with this dick. So uh, it's basically he's like a Jedi, right? Dude, he like waved his hand in front of her. It's like, this is the dick you're looking for. <laughs> That's what her dad is trying to imply. But what's important here is just how calm and level-headed Othello is. We have to establish that for what happens later. Brebentio keeps screaming about Othello tricking his daughter into marriage and that he wants Othello in prison. And Othello wisely is like, yeah, you'd still get into trouble because the Duke wants me to come over like right now. It would be pretty mad that you locked up his favorite general because you think he has dark magic in his dick. So Brebentio decides that he's going to follow Othello and co to the Dukes and, and bitch about it to the Duke himself. 
The next scene dumps us in a meeting between the Duke and various senator and military dudes about fighting with Turks over the island of Cyprus, blah blah blah, it goes on for a while. Then Othello comes in with this fucking three-ring circus of nonsense trailing behind him, and the Duke is all, Othello! Cool! Awesome! I need you to go fight the Dirk- uh, the Dirks. I need you to go fight the Turks. Only- uh, the Dirks. Yeah, I, you know, can you imagine a whole army of Dirk Nowitzkis? That's scary, actually, I don't want to. Now, what do you think it would win? Jesus Christ. 30? What's scarier, Meg? Not being a, able a, to a, finish this A Dirk-sized turkey? Or a whole gang of, of turkey-sized turkey Dirk Nowitzkis? A Dirk-sized turkey. Absolutely. Alright. But yeah, Brabantio, uh, Brabantio, whatever the fuck his name is, he comes in and he's like, Okay, I'm sure you're real busy with like your matters of state and impending war, whatever bullshit, but you need to stop everything right now because Othello and my daughter are married and I'm mad about it. And the Duke, I guess, because like Brazier is a senator, just kind of pinches the bridge of his nose and is just like, Yeah, okay, fine, I guess this is happening. Othello, what the fuck? Why do I have, why are you making me deal with this? And Othello says that he's a man of action, not words and thinking and stuff. In fact, Othello may as well say, Yes, you could say it's my tragic flaw, while winking at the audience. Nonetheless, he tells the Duke that, yes, he and Des are married, and no, he did not trick her. He just flirted with her a bunch, like people do. That uh, Branzino used to invite him over all the time to tell exciting war stories, and that Desdemona would listen in and be like, Damn, that guy fucking rules. And he's kind of hot, too. And Othello noticed her, noticing him, thought she was also hot. They got to talking. They fell in love. Pretty straightforward. And then he says perhaps the wildest thing ever uttered by a man in a Shakespeare play. If you want to know if my wife is genuinely in love with me, why don't you just ask her about it? <laughs> yes, though, she's some kind of adult person who can make her own decisions and choices and not, like, a really sexy Tamagotchi or something. Here's what we should do, guys. <laughs> you have her in a room without me. Just put your hands underneath her dress. Then I come in. Notice if there's any changes. That's, that is gross. That is so gross. You <laughs> she are, can't fake that. You are gross. Can't fake that. <laughs> Othello sends Iago to go get Desdemona because he trusts Iago. Which is something he also says out loud, probably while winking. And comes back with Des, who's just like, yeah, I married Othello. He's a kick-ass war hero and he's hot. Like, what's the confusion? And uh, Brabantia wants to keep bitching, but the Duke's like, she's happy. They're married. Shut the fuck up and go away. I have a war to figure out. So back to business. The Duke reiterates that Othello needs to go to Cyprus and fight some Turks. And Othello says no problem. He just needs to figure out where Desdemona will stay while he's gone. The Duke's like, at her dad's house? (laughs) Des is like, I would literally rather follow my husband to the war front than do that. And she does. Everybody leaves the room, except for Rodrigo and Iago. Roddy cries about Desdemona not loving him and threatens to kill himself. And Iago, who's still milking Rodrigo for cash somehow, is like, no, 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 don't do that. That's silly. Go make more money instead. That'll make me, I mean you, a lot happier. So go do that. Make money, I mean. He tells Rodrigo this nine times times in the span of a paragraph of dialogue he's focused (laughs) yes the clever manipulator iago so subtle so devious but rodrigo is as smart as an especially stupid pile of bricks and agrees to go off and not kill himself and also keep giving iago money for some reason then he leaves and iago faces the audience twirls his evil mustache and is like now that i'm alone let me recount my actual evil plans out loud to myself as all good villains do 
and he reveals that shock. He doesn't really give a shit about Rodrigo, but is still pretty mad at Othello and Cassio. So he says they'll play them all like chess pieces on a board and convince Othello that Cassio, a known slut, is sleeping with Desdemona behind his back, ruining Cassio's military career and Othello's marriage in one fell swoop, conveniently leaving both positions open for Iago. Yeah, that's right. I said both. Sure, Iago may not say it, but considering he goes about his vengeance with all the overly dramatic spite of an extra-ass ex-boyfriend, I don't think I'm too far out on a limb here. And I haven't gotten to Iago's weirdly intense and irrational hatred of women yet. Also, he should be playing reversi. <laughs> Instead of chess? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fits the theme. It does. I'm the white disc. <laughs> He's the black disc. Symbolism. Anyway, thus ends Act 1. And if you were thinking that Act 2 would open with like a smash cut to Othello in the middle of a Turkish battlefield, well, you'd think wrong, because a full-scale war scene just wasn't in the Globe Theater's budget. Instead, some characters remark on how very convenient it was for the entire Turkish fleet to get destroyed in a storm. And now everyone can just hang out in Cyprus and get into a horny reality show-style shenanigans and backstabbery. I was told... Hurricanes didn't exist before global warming. <laughs> this doesn't add up. It was a hurricane. It was just a storm. You better get Al Gore on the phone. Storm. What's Al Gore's answer to this? I don't know. I don't have his phone number anymore. He, he changed it after mm. I, we wouldn't stop calling him. Mm. We see Cassio singing Othello's praises to Montano, the governor of Cyprus, before he arrives. Hannah Montano? Hannah Montano. Saying, what a Singing? <laughs> uh, how about you sing one of those Hannah Montano songs for us? Uh, I couldn't even if I wanted to. I don't remember. So he says to Montano, uh, what a cute couple Othello and Desdemona are, so that we know that when Des shows up with Iago's wife Amelia and Cassio flirts with both of them, it's not anything serious. Iago doesn't feel that way, though. And he gets mad at his wife and goes on the first of many screeds about how women are liars who talk too much and only care about sex. Yeah, that's some prime husband material right there. Gotta keep those legs closed. Oh, God. If she is cheating on him with Cassio, which he privately suspects, like, yeah, can't say I blame her when she's living with that shit 24-7. That gem of a husband. Then a fellow shows up, and he and Desdemona make out a whole bunch in front of everyone and then run off presumably to finally have sex on dry land after what I can only imagine was some less than comfortable boat fucking. Wait, why? You, you don't think fucking at sea in a medieval Venetian boat is, is going to be a comfy experience? Why would it be uncomfy? You're on a boat. Like, the, the waves are rocking. Everything's off balance. There's not a lot of room. You both probably smell kind of bad. Hey, people go on cruises. Going on a cruise is different than being in a medieval military ship. Those Venetian gondolas are pretty sweet. <laughs> they didn't take a fucking gondola to the island of Cyprus. They might have. They did not. How do you know? Because their boats survived the storm. I've played enough Civ Five to know. <laughs> Those Venetian boats, you know, you get extra trade routes as the Venetians. You better thank the Venetians. <laughs> Papyrus. Papyrus. <laughs> oh, that's Egyptian, not Venetian. That's funny. Oh, yeah, the Egyptians did papyrus. The Phoenician. Wait, are you confusing the Venetians oh, with shit. the Phoenicians? <laughs> oh, my God. I thought you were just doing a really good pun, but no, you confused the Venetians with the Phoenicians just now, didn't you? I <laughs> <laughs> oh, should think both. For different things. <laughs> not papyrus. 
whatever, everyone leaves, and it, everyone's uh, favorite idiot sidekick, Rodrigo, falls out of whatever overhead storage bin he was hiding in to plot with Iago. Iago lies and tells him that Dez is already over Othello and is now banging Cassia, which, like, I mean, they just landed on the fucking island. When did she even have time? Uh, but Iago presents the irrefutable evidence of Cassio greeting her by touching her hand. Touching you. Reaching Touching out. me. <laughs> Touching me. Sweet Desdemona. Ba-ba-ba. <laughs> well, that's, that's all uh, Rowdy Roddy Rigo needs to convince himself to follow Iago's instructions and go get in a fist fight with Cassio to get him demoted and then get some competition out of the way, which doesn't make any sense at all, but we've already established that Rodrigo has the brain power of a footstool. So he goes off to go do the thing and, like, punch Cassio, leaving the audience alone with Iago again, which, like, you. I don't want to be around Iago unsupervised and listen to him talk about how he's pretty sure Othello may have also fucked his wife, despite there being absolutely no evidence of this, and just going, like, tee-hee-hee, dance, puppets, dance. Being alone with Iago is like having to babysit an egomaniacal toddler, except it's a more than likely exceptionally sweaty grown man. I feel, I just get sweaty vibes from Iago. I don't know. Thankfully, the scene ends, and we get a scene that is literally just Othello's herald taking to the streets to announce that everyone is officially hashtag on island time and should go have fun. It's literally just like, burr, burr, burr. Hear ye, hear ye. Your general commands you to get fucking lit. Burr, 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 burr. Shots, 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 shots. It's five o'clock somewhere. It's five o'clock all the time now on Cyprus. And that's the whole scene. After that, we see Othello tell Cassio not to let anyone get too white girl wasted while he's off having sex with his wife. And Cassio's like, well, I mean, that's supposed to be Iago's job, but like, yeah, I'll help. And Othello once again talks about how much he trusts Iago and that he's just a really great guy and not someone clearly foaming at the mouth with psychotic misplaced rage. And then he leaves to go have sex with his wife. While on party patrol duty... Iago tries to get Cassio to call Desdemona a whore, and, and Cassio's like, no. And Iago's like, okay, plan B, let's get you drunk. And uh, he does, because apparently Michael Cassio isn't just a flirty nerd, he's also a lightweight. Iago gets him hammered and sings weird racist drinking songs and waits for Rodrigo, who will have also been drinking, but for sadness reasons, to come by and fight him. He does, and he gets his ass kicked, because, you know, nerd or otherwise, Cassio's still a military man, and Rodrigo comes up to him with, like, Hey, fuck you, yeah, and gets hit. He runs away shrieking like the drunk man-baby he is to Iago, who was standing around with Mon Montan Montano Montana, the governor. Uh, Mon Monsanto tries to get between Cassio and Rodrigo and ends up getting stabbed trying to hold Cassio back. Iago instructs Rodrigo to run around and scream that there's a mutiny happening until a fellow finally has to show up like, what the fuck, like I leave for 20 goddamn minutes and now everyone who was on watch is drunk and the governor is stabbed. Iago does not immediately throw Cassio under the bus and is in fact kind of subtle for once and makes like he's trying to be sympathetic, saying that all he knows is Cassio was chasing after someone. Iago doesn't know who, who was running around screaming and this whole stabbing the governor thing is, is just like a misunderstanding. The thing is, because Othello thinks Iago's such a stand-up guy, he assumes that he's covering for Cassio and that whatever he actually did must be like really bad. And even if not, he did kind of stab the governor of the island they turned into Party Central. So Othello is forced to demote and dismiss Cassio. Did he take the risk calculator back from him? Yes. It's like, this is mine now. 
And now you got just Fitbit that does nothing. Nothing. Meanwhile, Iago somehow manages to not dance around Cassio laughing and, like, throwing rocks at him, and instead offers himself as a shoulder for Cassio, confused and hungover to cry on. Iago comforts him by saying that he's sure he could get back on Othello's good side again, and hey, maybe you should go talk to Desdemona about it, since, you know, they're kind of friends, and Othello clearly values her opinion. And we get that good dramatic irony where you're wringing your hands like, Cassio, no, because... He's not an idiot shitbag like Rodrigo, and Iago does make it all sound rather reasonable. Cassio feels much better and leaves, saying he'll go talk to Desdemona in the morning, which means it's time for Iago's evil video confession booth, and it's just, you know, er, Cassio's dumb, er, Desdemona's kind, and it's gonna be her undoing, er, I'm so smart, ah. Then Rodrigo briefly stumbles in and interrupts Iago verbally masturbating to say that the plan sucked because he got the shit beat out of him and he's broke and he wants to go home. Iago's like, I, I don't care. Go away. Daddy needs his special alone time to jerk off while thinking about doing bad things to Othello. And that's where Act 2 ends. Yeah. <laughs> Act 3 opens with Cassio attempting to get back in Othello's good graces by hiring a band to play beneath his window because boomboxes weren't invented yet, I suppose. The musicians are sent away by a servant of Othello's who says their music sounds like farts. That's 100% Shakespeare's joke and not mine. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Your, your music, it appears to be the sound of flatulence. <laughs> I don't know why they sound like that. That is, uh, um... That's what they sound like in Venice. Ah. After this, Cassio talks with Iago's wife, Amelia, to try and arrange a meeting with Desdemona. She tells Cassio that Des has already been pleading his case to Othello. Amelia goes to see if she can arrange it so Des and Cassio can talk in private. Othello, conveniently, has fortifications to inspect, which sounds like a weird euphemism, but whatever. It gets him out of the way so Cassio can talk to Des. Then we slide right into scene three, aka the scene where everything goes completely to hell. Cassio and Desdemona have a perfectly innocent conversation where she promises to help him out, and they see Iago and the fellow coming, and Cassio, like, hurries away because he's still not sure, you know, where he stands with his boss. Giving Iago the perfect intro to Operation Jealousy time as he's like, Hmm, what's up with Cassio? Sure seem to be leaving your wife's room in an awful big hurry. Hmm, not suspicious. Othello and Des then get into a fight when she tries to advocate for Cassio some more. And he gets evasive and annoyed, and she's like, I don't know why you're pouting like this, but bye. Which means Othello is alone with Iago. And if there's one thing we've learned so far in this play, is that that's the worst way to be with Iago. He starts asking Othello stuff like, Hey, just wondering, like, no real reason, but wasn't Cassio, like, your wingman when you were courting Des? And how honest do you think he really is? And how honest is Desdemona anyway? I mean, she did trick her dad so she could marry you, and also all women are lying, cheating whores, just saying. And Othello's like, are, are, are you hinting at something? And Iago goes full, like, theater kid and is like, No, my lord, I can't! I shan't! It's disloyal and terrible! And he's like, Yeah, but what is it? No, I can't say it! And he's like, Stop. <laughs> and Iago complies and is like, What if, and this is purely hypothetical, Cassio was fucking your wife? Should have asked me just to tag in. <laughs> she loves that shit. Hey. Hey. Her, her and I have been talking about this for a while. <laughs> We both had our eye on Cassio, in all honesty. <laughs> Iago would have just been like, well, fuck. <laughs> uh, he immediately jumps on Othello like, oh my lord, do not be jealous. Beware the green-eyed monster. And Othello's like, I'm, I'm not. There's no real proof of any of this. And he, he says he doesn't get jealous. And that, yeah, like, Desdemona's hot and he knows other guys are in love with her, but she chose him. And that's all that matters. 
Niago's like, mm, yes, very wise, very good. Well, maybe we should just spy on them anyway, just, just to see how right you are and how they're definitely not having sex behind your back every second you don't see either of them. Also, don't forget that she's white and Cassio's white and you're not. So it really wouldn't even be that weird for her to drop you for some white boy dick, but I'm sure that's not the case at all. That's crazy. Why would someone even say that? I will never betray you. Let me touch your biceps. Iago leaves Othello to stew, and boy does he. He soliloquizes at the audience how Iago sure is a good friend, and that he knows he's older than Desdemona, and blacker than Desdemona, and manages to convince himself that, yeah, no, she's probably not being faithful to him. It's, it's just logic. You know, because he doesn't get jealous. Of course. And so you've got this guy who is actually pretty great and, like, loves his wife, and up until this point has been pretty secure in himself, or at least seemed that way tear himself into little pieces over something that he has no proof of, all because of, like, this racism stuff, like the fact that her dad and all these people thought the only reason that she would even be with him is because, like, he tricked her into it, and then, you know, Iago getting all up in his head, playing mind games. But we're not done yet. We're still in scene three. Amelia and Des come in and to tell Othello it's time for dinner, and Othello's like, oh, I don't feel well. And Des offers to use her handkerchief as, like, a compress against his forehead and he's like no it's too small and he throws it and stay with me now as the two women go to leave amelia sees the hanky on the ground and is like my husband won't shut up about trying to get me to steal that thing which is kind of weird because it was othello's first token of love to his wife but i won't question why that's something iago really really wants i'll just take it why 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 not? <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. Like, hmm. Yago keeps screaming about how he wants this token of love that Othello gave to his wife. I'm just gonna grab this. I'm not gonna ask questions. I'm Amelia. Yeah, my husband wants it. <laughs> he asked for her for Christmas. Here we go. Christmas shopping done. So she does give it to him, all excited. And he's like, cool, thanks. Still hate your dumb face. And she asks exactly what he wants the handkerchief for. And he tells her none of your business. And she definitely thinks he's going to masturbate with it. And he probably would masturbate with it, except that he needs to plant it in Cassio's room as proof of cheating. Maybe he masturbates with it first. He goes to Othello, who's like, I wish you never brought this affair shit up. It's like, it's driving me up the wall and going crazy, even though it's been like 15 minutes. If you have proof, show me it. If you've been winding me up with this BS, I'm going to tie you in a burlap sack and throw you in the ocean. Niago tells him, look, it's not like they're going to actually catch Cassio and Desdemona straight fucking just going at it like passionate animals in heat inflamed with the fiery lust of cucking you super hard. Iago's doing a thing here if you haven't picked up on it. So instead he just needs to believe the flimsy circumstantial evidence that only Iago can confirm. Like that he heard Cassio having a very loud dream about boning Desdemona and cursing Othello in his sleep while Iago and Cassio were bunking together. And that Cassio basically dry-humped Iago while making out with Iago's hand and calling it Desdemona and what the fuck, dude? Those are not made-up details, by the way. By which I mean I did not make them up. Iago did, though. Which means those weird fucking embellishments are all him. And he was like, yeah, like, he put his leg over me and, like, kind of straddled me and was making out with my hand. I didn't stop him. I just kind of let it happen. <laughs> You can't stop a man from getting what he wants. It's really weird. And Othello's like, okay, gross. What else you got? And Iago tells him he's seen Cassio using Desdemona's special handkerchief. You know, 
the one that a fellow threw on the floor earlier in the same scene we're currently in. Well, you know what? Othello doesn't remember that. And uh, he's furious. He goes from zero to I've been betrayed and will seek revenge in record time. See the real tragedy here? Dementia. <laughs> well, all he wants now is blood and or vengeance. Hey, Othello, remember, uh, remember the beginning of the play when you were like, hey, if you want to know something about my wife, you should probably just talk to my wife. No? Cool. Meanwhile, Des is worried about her missing handkerchief and confides in Amelia that while Othello is defo not the type to be jealous, losing the hanky would probably upset him and make him potentially suspicious of her in a totally non-jealous way. Amelia does not mention that she stole that shit. And uh, just like that, there's Othello, and Des unknowingly makes everything worse by reminding him that they still need to talk about Cassio and that she wants to help him. And Othello grabs her hand and goes on a weird tangent about how it feels like a hot hand. It feels like a very horny hand. Like a hand that would just go out and fuck a bunch of random dudes. Just a real easy hand. This creates an understandably uncomfortable atmosphere and is probably why when Othello then randomly asks to wipe his eyes with Dez's super special handkerchief, she lies. She says, I don't have it, but it's not lost. I just don't have it right now. And he's like, well, m maybe you could get it. No. Well, why not reasons? And then they have a big fight and he storms off and Desdemona's really confused and upset because her husband called her hand a slut and screamed at her about a glorified snot rag instead of just talking to her about his feelings and the dumb shit Iago's been filling his head with. <sighs> RJ. What's up? Why don't these people ever just fucking talk to each other? Because it's a farce. It's not a farce. It's a tragedy. Eh, it's a little bit of both. Dementia. Dementia. Antisocial behavior. Nope. Thus ends Act 3. Act 4 opens with Othello on handkerchief watch 1580. His brain is officially Iago's plaything, and wowee does that dude go to town on it. He's even like, yeah, I think I heard Cassio saying something about how he would lie with, with Des, or was it lie to her? I mean, you know, one means boning and one means lying, so I guess the distinction's pretty important. Too bad I didn't hear it properly. Oh well. This literally sends Othello into a fit. Like an on-the-floor catatonic fugue state. And Cassio walks by and is like, is he okay? And Iago's like, yep, this is this is just something he does now. Carry on. Oh, also, I forgot to say uh, before. Uh, Cassio had found the handkerchief in his room. Had no idea whose it was or what it was doing there. And he gave it to a prostitute named Bianca that he was fooling around with. So Othello slowly comes back to Earth and Iago's like, hey, I got a cool plan. You go hide and I'll talk to Cassio and get him to admit that he's screwing your wife. And Othello, calm rational not jealous othello is like yes i see nothing wrong with this plan i trust you implicitly you're my only friend when i hear cassio talking about my wife i'm gonna turbo murder him so he hides and yagu informs the audience that he's going to get cassio to talk about bianca that prostitute that he's stringing along and just you know not say her name and othello will think he means desdemona because he's basically on another fucking planet at this point so he does this and it works, even though it's really stupid and Cassio just saying, yeah, Bianca's really into my dick would have ruined it, but whatever. Then, to cap it all off, without Iago even doing anything, Bianca appears and throws the handkerchief in Cassio's face, saying something this nice had to have come from another woman and that he's a dirty slut. Othello loses his mind and intends to kill Cassio and Desdemona and even specifies that he's not going to talk about any of it with her first because she'd just try to talk him out of it. You gotta do what you gotta do. Iago's like, yep, sounds cool to me. I'll go kill Cassio for you. It's gonna be great. 
Uh, things get worse when a guy named Lodovico comes up with news from Venice that the Duke wants Othello to come back and for Cassio to stay in Command Cyprus. Lodovico runs into Desdemona first and asks how everything's going, and she's like, bad! Othello hates Cassio and also me, I think. I don't know why. Also, I keep finding Iago laughing maniacally to himself in random corners. There's just a lot of weird shit going on. Othello overhears her just say the name Cassio, just in this context, and just runs over and smacks her in the face, yells at her till she cries, and then runs away. And Lodovico's like, what What the fuck was that? And Iago slithers up like, yeah, this is just how he is now. Damn shame. Othello first interrogates Amelia and uh, tries to get her to confess that Des is cheating on him. She says no, and he's like, clearly you're lying. Bring in Desdemona so I can scream at her and call her terrible names. And he does. And she breaks down because she doesn't understand what the fuck is going on and why Othello won't just believe her when she says she's been faithful to him. Then he calls her a whore a bunch more and leaves. A plus husbanding. Yeah. You know, Meg, it was a different time, you see. <laughs> it was a different time. Ugh. The thing is... The thing is... Let's go back further in time. Star Wars Episode Three. No. Let's talk about that marriage. It's... Pretty similar. How is that similar? Those two couldn't talk to each other. Ever calls Padme a, an, an unfaithful whore. He, he just kills her. He does throttle her to death. Yeah, with his mind. If only they spoke. <laughs> well, that wasn't really the problem. Yeah, didn't he think uh, she was sleeping with old uh, Obi-Wan? No. I think so. I don't think so. Yeah, that they were like colluding against him. That was pretty late in the game at that oh, point. Yeah. He's already had his mind. This is a dumb, oh, because they this stopped, is a dumb conversation. Oh, it's because they stopped talking well before that. Okay, fine. I think uh, Big Willie stole from Star Wars. I think he might have. Happened a long time ago in a galaxy far away. Well, but not too I, far I, I, from I Big Willie. I was going to say, yeah, it can't have been too far. He wouldn't have heard of it. Amelia and Iago go see Des afterwards, and she cries about having to deal with all this bullshit, and Amelia's like, yeah, we know you didn't do anything. Someone must be lying to Othello. Some horrible, slimy, self-serving, lie-spewing bastard man. And Iago's like, oh, is it, is it hot in here, or is it just me? <laughs> then he's confronted by Rodrigo, who, God bless him, has finally figured out that Iago might not have his best interests at heart, and has also been taking all his money for funsies. He still seems to think that Iago can set him up with Desdemona somehow and is like, either do the thing or I will fucking kill you. Iago's thinking on his feet here like, uh, yeah, no, this was all part of my plan, Roddy, my dude. Because uh, Othello has to leave Cyprus and Cassio's staying. So if you want Desdemona to stay, then you need a reason for Othello to stay. Long story short, go kill Cassio. And Rodrigo's like, that, that doesn't make sense, but okay, okay fine. Because it's something to do, I guess. The sunk cost fallacy. <laughs> Pretty much. Fucking Rodrigo. Meanwhile, Othello goes to take a walk with Lodovico and tells Des to go to bed and make sure she's alone. Desdemona has a pretty fair idea of what awaits her when he gets back, but she doesn't do anything about it. She seems under the impression that she deserves this somehow, so that's fantastic. She talks to Amelia for a bit about death, and Amelia says that men suck, and Des is like, yeah, kinda. Or maybe just ours? Oh well, what are you gonna do? That's how we end Act 4. Okay, RJ, we're in the home stretch. <laughs> home stretch, you say? Act 5 starts with Iago giving Rodrigo a sword and having him wait in the shadows to kill Cassio. And Rod's like, hey, don't go too far. What if I need your help? Iago's like, I don't care, bye. At this point, Rodrigo's become a real problem. And Iago's hope is that he and Cassio kill each other and it's like a two birds, one stone situation. And, and Rod, you know, kind of dithers about killing Cassio because he still doesn't really understand why he's doing it. But when Cassio comes, he does his best, which is, of course, terrible. And only ends up getting stabbed by Cassio. So Iago jumps out and stabs Cassio himself. And Cassio cries out for help. 
Othello, who is apparently also lurking around, thinks Iago has killed Cassio for him, and this gives him the gumption he requires to go murder his wife for absolutely no fucking reason. In the meantime, Lodovico and a few others heard Cassio screaming and came to help. Iago quietly murders Rodrigo before popping out to be like, Oh, thank goodness you guys came. I heard someone attacking Cassio. Oh, there he is. It's that dumb asshole Rodrigo. Looks like Cassio managed to kill him after all. The others help Cassio, and Iago's like, All right, one out of two. I'll take it. R.I.P. Rodrigo, you were so, so unbelievably stupid. Othello looms over Desdemona's sleeping body and does that whole like, oh, I love you, I can't actually go through with this, oh wait, yes I can, thing. And Des wakes up and Othello shoves the handkerchief in her face like, explain this! And she protests her innocence again. And Othello says she's lying again. And he smothers her to death with a pillow. R.I.P. Desdemona, you did absolutely nothing wrong, you angel. Except for maybe waiting in your room when you knew your husband was coming to murder you. And also leaving him alone unsupervised with Iago. That was, that was a bad move. And now, in the style of both Shakespeare plays and Lifetime original movies, the falling action happens very quickly. Amelia comes in to see what Othello has done and screams until the remaining cast members, including Iago, flood into the room. Amelia asks Iago point-blank if he told Othello that Des was cheating on him, and he's like, Told is a very strong word. Suggested, maybe? Implied? And Othello's like, what does it matter? He was right. Cassio had her special hanky. And see, this is why it's so important for people to fucking talk to each other. Because Amelia immediately is like, wait, what are you talking about? I stole that. And I gave it to Iago. Presumably so he could go do weird sex things to it. Iago reacts to this confession with the kind of Machiavellian cleverness we've come to expect from him. You're lying, you fucking whore. Uh, that would be on brand for him, but no, he stabs her and runs away. <laughs> yeah, that's good too. <laughs> it's more subtle than mine, I suppose. I suppose. But see, mine he could have maybe got away with. This one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not so much. Um, Ma Montano and some others try to follow him, and Othello is left alone with Amelia while she dies. R.I.P. Amelia, you really should have put more thought into why your husband wanted that hanky so bad. And also not married him, because he's literally the worst. Don't commit crimes. You could have done better. Othello remembers he has a spare sword stashed in the room and grabs it to go kill Iago. Just as he leaves the room, Montano, Lodovico, and a wounded Cassio all come back with a captured Iago. Othello curses Iago and stabs him, but not enough to kill him, because he wants him to suffer. And he asks Iago what the fuck motivated him to do all this awful shit, and Iago says, basically, I don't know, figure it out, asshole. I'm never speaking again, suck my dick. He just says he's never going to talk again. Lodovico also produces a random bunch of letters that Rodrigo had on his person that implicate Iago in all the bad shit he's done, which is extremely convenient, but sure, why not? The play is basically over. Finally, Othello just straight up asks Cassio where he got the handkerchief, and he tells Othello he found it in his room and also has never had sex with Desdemona. And because he has a penis, I guess, Othello believes him and is like, man, that fucked up real bad. But if I kill myself... Then I'll sort of be the hero, because technically, I killed the villain. And everyone else is like, that's not how that works, but Othello's like, too late doing it, and stabs himself to death. Leaving Cassio and co. standing around in a room with three dead bodies and one raging fuckwagon who's decided to plead the fifth. Lodovico laments what a pain in the ass explaining all this to the Duke of Venice is going to be, and the play ends. The end. Well, shucks. <laughs> Fucking Othello. Gonna have to fill out so many reports. Yeah, basically. That's the true tragedy. So, you said you have some, some differences? Oh, yeah. So, from what uh, old Shakespeare, Shakespeare, <laughs> Shakespeare, lifted from. So, the Moorish general. So, the equivalent of Iago, 
His whole plot is actually just to destroy Desdemona's life. He doesn't really care about Othello that much. He just wants to knock off Desdemona. And not necessarily kill her, just at first, just destroy her life. Is there a reason? She dared to marry someone outside either the faith or the color. Wow. Yeah. Like, what's Othello, or the equivalent of Othello, supposed to do, right? You know, how could you turn down a pretty white woman? You can't blame him. You blame the woman. That's fucked up, and I guess that that tracks with the, yeah, the Iago version of the character as a virulent woman hater. Now, eventually, in that tale, it's in Cynthia's tale, Mm -hmm. Iago decides, okay, Desdemona has to die. But he doesn't really drive... Othello to madness to do it they kind of go in it together that they conspire together and eventually I goes hey you know what we got to do we got to kill your wife and Othello's like okay <laughs> so here's what they do because they do this together they wait, go get wait wait wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so Othello's just like yeah you know what you're right let's do like is there a like why well it's a, mostly the same kind of plot point you okay. know that she's cheating on you this whole thing but we're gonna go do it together it's like, like I love you so much as a brother basically <laughs> I'm, I'm going to help you. Oh, my God. Let's do this together. And so what they do is they get some sandbags. And while she's sleeping, is they beat her to death with the sandbags. Oh, no. While she's sleeping. But then they don't want it to look like a murder. So what they do is they go into the rafters above her bed and they make it collapse on top of her already dead body. And they go, oh, my God. Look at this horrible accident. Poor Desdemona. She got crushed to death. Who would have thought Shakespeare was doing a kindness by having her be smothered to death with a fucking pillow? So this goes on and no one really suspects anything and life goes on. But then the guilt in Othello's character is just too great. Every time he sees Iago, he's thinking, man, we killed my wife. (laughs) We sure did kill my wife together. And so he decides he can't look at Iago anymore. And so he demotes Iago (laughs) and refuses to have him around. Like they, he can't see him anymore. And so... What uh, Iago does is finding this unpalatable. He goes, like, to the squadron leader and says, Hey, this dude killed his wife. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) And so they arrest Othello. They torture him, and he admits, Yeah, I killed my wife, but he helped me, too. This is wild. And so what they do for Othello, since he feels guilty and he admitted to it, is they exile him. Mm -hmm. Desdemona's family finds him in exile. And kills him there. Meanwhile, Iago's running around saying, I didn't do nothing. I didn't do nothing. He's just like running and going. And eventually he gets arrested. In between, he commits other crimes in Venice. Like he goes like on this whole crime spree. (laughs) They torture him. And in the middle of him being tortured, he dies. So the equivalent of Amelia lives on. And she's the one who tells this tale of woe. Ah. And basically, I had this horrible husband. He's the worst guy ever. He was pretty fucking bad so that's uh the main differences between the two tales it's interesting now in the original real life actual events no one really dies apparently othello just beats desdemona around quite a bit so it's just (laughs) an abusive husband yeah based on the true story of an abusive husband but that's not nearly as interesting let's spice this up (laughs) (laughs) spice this up wow okay so because it's shakespeare we do have to briefly uh touch on adaptations just because there's some interesting shit there. And, you know, there's there's 11 billion of them, so I'm just going to kind of skim and pick out the more interesting and also racist ones. So, starting with the stage. Uh, one thing I thought was interesting was that it's common practice in productions of Othello, dating back to at least the 1800s, for the actors playing Othello and Iago to swap parts on alternating shows to, like, give people a reason to come back. In 1943, the play was staged by Margaret Webster, and it was the first production in America to feature a black actor playing Othello. 
uh, an actor named Paul Robeson, against an otherwise white cast. Although, I'm just going to point out, the actor who played Iago, Jose Ferrer, was Puerto Rican. If that name sounds familiar, it's because they also had him play Captain Nemo, which we talk about in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea episode. Uh, prior to this, all productions had either all-white or all-black casts. The show ran for just under 300 performances, which is nearly double any Shakespeare play ever produced on Broadway. Which is pretty wild. <laughs> In 1965, Laurence Olivier starred in a film version of Othello after performing it on the stage for the Royal Shakespeare Company the year prior. Both stage and screen involved Olivier in full fucking blackface with, quote, a exotic accent of his own invention and a goofy walk for some reason, like swinging his hips or whatever. It also had Maggie Smith as uh, Desdemona. And uh, I'm just going to say it, young Maggie Smith could get it. Uh, I thought you were going to say she was like 80 years old when she was also 20. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in 1982, Othello had another Broadway run that starred James Earl Jones as Othello and Christopher Plummer as Iago, which sounds pretty dope. Did they switch roles in Maybe. between them? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, another Harry Potter actor, other than Maggie Smith, Michael Gambon, a.k.a. Dumbledore, starred as Othello in a stage adaptation in 19-freaking-90 that was also performed in blackface. In fact, he even says he was directly inspired by Olivier's version. Gambon is quoted as saying, quote, He, Olivier, used to paint the big Negro lips on. You couldn't do it today, you'd get shot. He had the complete Negro face and the hips. I did all that. I copied him exactly, except I had a ponytail. I played him as an Arab. I stuck a ponytail on with a bell on the end of it. I thought that would be nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nice addition. Jesus Christ. This was at least the last time the Royal Shakespeare Company did Othello with blackface, by which I mean they shelved the play for nine years until an actor named Ray Fearon became the first black British actor to take the part in 1999. God. In 2007 in London... A production of Othello had Chiwetel Ejiofor as Othello, Ewan McGregor as Iago, and Tom Hiddleston as Cassio. Which I only mentioned because, like, that's a kick-ass cast. But also, can you imagine how weird watching Ewan McGregor play Iago would be like? Like, I could see, like, Tom Hiddleston because I think of, like, Loki from the Thor movies, but, like, Obi-Wan being Iago. No, he was born for that part. How? He waved his hand and said so. Ugh. Anyway... For the screen, of course, Orson Welles, the man obsessed with doing all the Shakespeare before Kenneth Branagh took up the mantle, filmed a version in 1952 with, like, zero budget. Welles played Othello because of course he did, and if you're wondering if he was in blackface, of course he was. Although, according to the Wikipedia page, because I have not seen this movie, Welles decided that, quote, rather than focusing on racial disparity, the film plays on difference between Desdemona and Othello in age, size, and personal attractiveness. And penis size. <laughs> In 1981, as part of the BBC television Shakespeare series, Anthony Hopkins stars Othello in some real half-assed blackface, and Bob Hoskins was Iago. This one I have seen, and I think chunks of it are still on YouTube and, like, wow dang. I mean, the blackface is already pretty terrible, but Anthony Hopkins is also just so miscast as Othello. He mostly mumbles his way through it, apart from when he sees the handkerchief, and he has a full-on, like, foams-at-the-mouth seizure, which is something. I, I will say, though, Bob Hoskins, A-plus casting, clearly enjoying himself. And Iago, that's actually kind of fun. At several points during his various evil monologues, he does a silly dance. What kind of dance? Describe <laughs> like a, it for us. It's like a jig. Like a ha-ta-ta-ta-ta, like he clicks his heels together. Like a little leprechaun? Yeah. 
There you go. He's like a little evil leprechaun man. Some fun background on this version is that initially producers tried to get James Earl Jones to be Othello. The problem was that the British Actors' Equity Association had written into their contract with the BBC that only British actors could appear in the series, and they threatened to strike if a filthy American dared join their cast. So a different producer ended up taking over who, quote, decided that the play was not about race at all and cast a white actor in the role. They were just sour that James Earl Jones stole the role of Darth Vader from that white British dude. Yeah, that was it. What was that guy's name? I don't know. Well, he had a talking role. He didn't realize they were taking his voice away. Yeah, well, he should have had a cooler voice. It wasn't until 1995 that there was a major film production that actually cast a black actor as Othello. Lawrence Fishburne starred as the title character and good old Kenneth Branagh as Iago. Because even in his never-ending quest to play every Shakespeare protagonist, he was like... Including Shakespeare. Including Shakespeare. (laughs) He went, "Mm, yeah, no, I'm not gonna do that. Not gonna cross that line. That and probably the fact that Iago has more lines, anyway. Apart from that, the only major screen adaptation is O from 2001, a modern, hip version for the savvy early 2000s youth, starring Mackay Pfeiffer as a star high school basketball player named Odin, Julia Stiles as Desi, the dean's daughter, and Josh Hartnett as Hugo, Odin's teammate. It's weird and it's it's pretty dark and very rapey. Uh, Unlike the other Julia Stiles modern high school remake of Shakespeare, Othello doesn't translate quite as well. That would be 10 things I hate about you, by the way. Taming of the Shrew. Yep. Amazing movie. I don't know about that. It's a great movie. You shut up. Lastly, there's an Othello manga. Not the one I mentioned before, but something that's part of a whole run of Shakespeare manga that I just never knew about somehow. Like, it's a series literally just called Manga Shakespeare, and I'm a bad person for never noticing. In Manga Othello, available on Comixology, by the way, Othello is some kind of angel robot, Iago is a small blonde twink with an eye patch, and Rodrigo is an anthropomorphic dog man. I, I got nothing to add to that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Which leads us to the part of the show that we always gotta get to eventually, because that's how the show works, and that's the one where I go, hey, RJ. Sup? Oh, the, low, good or it's Ot Hello. Ot, ot Hello. Good or bad? You, we don't know how they pronounced it. I mean, they, they did crazy things with letters. Is it good or is it bad? I think it's good. Yeah, one thing we really didn't talk about here was arguably Iago is the more likable kind of character that you can really look at Iago as kind of like the protagonist of the story. He's not likable, though. Like, he's a devious fuck. It is true that. While the title, you know, suggests that this is Othello's tragedy, Iago does play a much bigger role in the plot, and he has the most dialogue, like I said. You know, he's the one who kind of does the most things. Certain uh, literary theorists, such as A.C. Bradley and Harold Bloom, have been major advocates of interpreting, yes, this is Iago's play, because, yeah, Harold Bloom fucking would. I don't know what our problem is. (laughs) My problem is that I hate Harold Bloom, because I had to read way too much of his stupid literary criticism. Boom, shots fired. I've complained about him on the show before. Is he alive? I don't think so. Adam. I'm not 100% sure. At I Harold just know Bloom. I hate him. All right, so you think it's good? You like Iago? Yeah, good play. Fun to teach. Many clips to watch. What clips do you show them? Oh, I show him some Anthony Hopkins and some Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> In particular, I show him the scene where Lawrence Fishburne walks up and slaps a bitch. He does indeed do that. And then Kenneth Branagh goes, yes. <laughs> yes, slap It's a It's working. Oh, Kenneth Browning. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta go see all is true. <laughs> so let me ask you, if in like Lawrence Olivier, instead of putting on blackface, like in the opening scene, he goes, yes, I'm Othello, the Moorish black captain. 
But he does nothing to his face. More acceptable? Yeah, I think so. Like, it's still not great, but at least he's not doing, like, this weird walking caricature shit. Hot take real quick. Robert Downey Jr., blackface, pro or con? Well, oh, there you go. And you, that's it. That's Megan's take. Anyway, Othello, thumbs up. All right. Hey, Megan. Yeah, RJ. Otter, hello. <laughs> yeah. Good or bad? I mean, I'm, I'm very rarely going to sit here and say a Shakespeare play is bad, but, like, there's a lot of misogyny, and it sucks. And Iago's torturing these people, and I feel like it reaches a point where it's just sort of painful and unpleasant you know you say Iago's a fun villain lots of people definitely make the argument that he's a fun villain it's a great part for an actor to just like go ham on but I don't find him super fun like I if you want to talk about entertaining villains I like Aaron from Titus Andronicus which is a batshit play but Aaron's a great villain because he's just jacked up to like 11 and he just says the most insane things or like Lady Macbeth pretty much who's also kind of insane and also most of the people in those plays are also all terrible people, so you don't feel quite as bad. So it just kind of sucks, because Othello and Desdemona were like two good people who loved each other, and at first you feel sympathy for Othello, but he becomes such a cockmonger in the end that it's like, this is just excruciating. So, I don't know, it's it's good, but it, it gets tough. It gets tough. That's my take. Okay. And that'll about do it for this episode of Ono oh the Class. If- now, here's the thing, Meg. Tropic Thunder. The more troubling depiction is the one Tom Cruise does. I mean, you can make that argument. There you argument. go, I think hot you take. can make that argument because at least, like, the one with Robert Downey Jr., you know, however successful they are at it, the point is to satirize actors who do that shit, who are racially miscast and, and you know, would do, like, blackface or something insane like that. Tom Cruise is just a Jewish caricature. Who <laughs> asked for prosthetic forearms. Yup. <laughs> because he's got little arms. So... Take that as you will. That'll about do it for our show. If you like us, if if you enjoy these jaunts into, into Big Willy territory, leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts that lets you do that. Tell everybody. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell your boss who you're secretly scheming to get to murder his wife. You could, you know, while you're poisoning his mind, you could be like, hey, also check out this podcast, my dude. You can... Support us on Patreon. This is a patron-voted episode where you get to vote for things like that and get bonus content. That's at patreon.com slash onolitclass. You can also join the Facebook group, follow us on Twitter, send weird, cool things to our P.O. box, and you can get uh, links to all of those things at onolitclass.com. Our next episode will be on June 13th. Until then, I'm Megan. I'm RJ. We love you. Bye. There's it's no <laughs> 10 Things I Hate About Commandments. <laughs> well, that wouldn't exist without 10 Things Moses, I Hate About Commandments. Moses, Moses, Moses. Look it up on YouTube.